Hey, Dinks! Welcome to Dennis in the Know. This is your backstage pass for current trends, politics, and education in the dental world. I'm Dr. Jeff Horowitz. With me is Dr. Jennifer Bell. You know her as JB and Dr. Chad Duplantis. We are all practicing dentists, we are all educators, and we are all business owners. Our job is to bring all of you in the know. So, um, as you guys know, um, a month ago or so, I was at the annual... um, one of the Piper uh, symposiums, and I had the pleasure of finally meeting um, Dr. Shah, who I had been. We were writing back and forth. We're you know part of the same study group, so uh, I had just not met him in person. And all the while, because during COVID was when he came in and and took this whole thing over. And all the while, I thought, boy, th- those are just some pretty big shoes to fill and the expectations that are going to be there. I mean, that's just not something that anyone could step into. And literally after listening to to Brian for five minutes, when he spoke, I said, oh my gosh, this is the guy that is going to bring this into even the next level of education and the next level of incredible care. It is just, it, it, it is just such a robust program down there. I am so proud to be a part of it. I'm so thankful that Brian came on. Let me just tell you a little bit about him. Dr. Brian Shaw, he was born in Chicago, Illinois, he grew up outside of Cleveland. Sorry about that. Uh, he did it. <laughs> go Indians. Uh, yes, exactly. He did his other under he did his undergraduate studies at the Miami University of Ohio, I might say. Went to the Ohio State University Whoa. College of Dentistry. Um, by the way, I hated going to um OSU Pittsburgh games because we Always got our ass kicked. So let me just throw that in there when that happened. Uh, but anyway, he he was actually very well known in the oral surgery department. Um, he was lucky enough to uh, to work with Dr. Larry Peterson. Um, he received a research scholarship from the Department of Oral and Maxillofacial Surgery. Obviously, that needed to be his path. He then went on to Harvard Medical School, where he received his MD and his oral surgery degree, Um, did rotations at Mass General, Boston Children's Hospital, Brigham and Williams, uh, Brigham and Women's Hospital, excuse me, and uh, and of course, Conway Hospital in Conway, South Carolina. No, the last one isn't true. Um, Anyway, he received the illustrious. <laughs> he was lucky to find two teeth in that town. <laughs> yeah. You're going to need a map quest to get that one home. Exactly. He found a joint there. It just didn't happen to be a temporal exactly. one. That's, that's right, Chad. He got his uh, board certification from the American Board of Oral and Maxillofacial Surgery. Um, he was in academic practice at Yale, and he was in private practice in Chicago doing amazing things. And then he and Mark got together and made this incredible thing happen. And I am so thankful because 
just the comfort level that that I feel and and having heard you and and knowing your knowledge base and and how objective you are in in your therapies and your surgery choices and your choices sometimes not to do surgery. I, I, I'm just very impressed by that. So, Brian, welcome to Dinks. It's so great to have you. Thank you so much. It's it's really, really a pleasure to be here. And what a beautiful intro. I should have had my wife in the room. Yeah. <laughs> doing that because I think that might have helped me a little bit. But yeah. no, Jeff, honestly, it never helps. No, I, I, I actually felt the same way. I think you and I hit it off very quickly. Um, you know, that we we have this uber energy uh, for these patients that many folks run for the hills when they meet them. Uh, and we go right after them. And, you know, we we chatted quite a bit in South Carolina and had a lot of fun together. But um, thank you for having me here. And I really appreciate it. Anything uh, anything we talk about tonight is is going to be a lot of fun for me as well. Well, I love it because anytime I can get my nerd on with a fellow nerd, it, it <laughs> makes me it makes me happy. Exactly. So why don't you, if you would, tell us a little bit about that journey from private practice how the conversation started with Dr. Piper and and how you two ended up collaborating and how you ended up actually taking over what was the Piper Clinic in St. Petersburg, Florida. Yeah, it was boy, if you if you don't believe in fate, this story will kind of to get you to believe in it because it it just wouldn't have happened otherwise. I was in Chicago uh, building my private practice pretty much around orthognathic surgery. Now, of course, I was doing the full scope of surgery just to, to pay the bills. And one of my referrals that many of you may know, Jim McKee, um, said to me, and, you know, there is a guy in Florida uh, that I think is the missing link for the work that you're doing here in Chicago. And and I'm like, dude, what are, you, what are you talking about? He's like, this guy's a TMJ wizard. He understands structurally how the joint relates to the face and vice versa. And I don't think you can do orthognathic surgery without understanding what he's doing. And when he was mentioning this to me at dinner, I was seeing a ton of relapse patients, not necessarily people I've operated on, but I actually had a, a little joke in the office that all of these patients were the same person. They were about 30 years old, female, had anterior open bites, treated successfully in the past with orthognathic surgery and orthodontics. And now they're in my office with open bites. And we get scanned. We're like, oh my gosh, you have six plates in your face. What happened here? Well, my teeth used to fit perfectly and then something happened. And I was, you know, digging through the literature and our, our, our research that talks about relapse and orthognathic surgery often focuses on the hardware we use, whether we have enough fixation, whether we've expanded the soft tissue envelope too much, uh, et cetera. And it started to click that in these particular patients, at least, the relapse was happening not at the plates that we put in or at the soft tissue envelope at the front of the face. It was they were losing dimension at the foundation. And what I mean by the foundation is the, the temporomandibular joints. 
So you have a patient that has a skeletal problem that likely occurred because of TMJ pathology. You fix that, quote, secondary deformity, but you never fix the primary pathology. And that's where Mark and I clicked. And that's that's what got me to come down to Florida. And, and it's really, really been lucky. I mean, it's been fantastic. So not only do I thank Mark with all my heart, but but Jim, uh, because he made that introduction. How much of that, though, happens both in dentistry and in medicine, where we just treat the symptoms and fail to identify and recognize the etiology? I absolutely hear you. And I and I'll tell you, I think we're still failing to a certain extent, as much as we know about the joint and and I live in that part of the body every day and see it every day, I still cannot with um, an honest face tell a patient I know what caused mm-hmm. the initial problem. Now, we have theories on trauma, of course. I mean, if you bump the chin hard enough, you're going to knock the disc off the bone and then you have internal derangement, et cetera. But why does it happen in predominantly female patients? Why doesn't it happen in in the male football player or boxer? You know, they're hit in the face many more times than a young girl might be if she falls off her bike. You know, so we know from some of the great work that that the guys out west have done and uh, that there is a female predilection. But can I really say to someone, well, it's because you had an estrogen surge at 10 years old and your mom has a small chin, and now you're predisposed to this pathology. Um, I don't know if I can say that. So I think we're we're still failing on that level. But as long as we're excited about it, and we keep looking into it and do it with um, sort of proper science, I think we'll eventually get better than where we are today. Jeff, I, I got to go here because this, no, is, this is just a fantastic conversation. This morning, New patient comes into the office, had been to a, a another dentist in the area, was not thrilled, came to me because we have several of her friends that, that we see. And she comes in and she's telling me kind of her story. She's wearing a night guard. She's got pain mainly on the left side. Um, and so the first thing that I looked at was her occlusion. And I'm taking a look and I'm looking at her occlusion. She's missing uh, both of her second bicuspids congenitally. She's got a sp- uh, a space there. There's there's nothing in in where those teeth should have been. She's got about seven millimeters of overjet, about one to two millimeters of over overbite, and she's only hitting on her first and second molars, and that's it. And she's having excruciating pain on her left side. Her joints feel okay. They sound okay. There's no popping. There's no clicking. Um, And it was my first visit. We're just kind of talking things through. So let's say you see somebody like that for the general dentist like me, who's not Piper trained. Where do I go with this patient? I I mean, and, and I have an orthodontist that I really like that I want her to go to first. And then I've got a surgeon that I want her to go to second. But that's the route that I would take. And so what would you recommend to somebody just like me that's just kind of starting to really get involved in this and delve in it? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that is the place to start in its structure. It, mm-hmm. it really is structure, as simple as that. We have a patient um, that even without the complaints of pain, they now have a malocclusion. 
And let's just start with the simple malocclusion is that if that's new, how did it become that way? If the back teeth have lost all their anatomy, if you're losing height, you know, why? What is going on that's causing that? And the first simple modality can be a CT scan. And, yes. and it's so ubiquitous now that we can do three-dimensional reconstructions and look at these things. And then I start with the basics, the three S's, size, shape, and space. So how big are the condyles? Do they fall within the normal range that Mark has described for us? 120 to 140 cross-sectional diameter. What about the shape? Did they look irregular? Are they odd? Are, are you seeing the obvious arthritic changes? And then articular spacing. I mean, if there is a disc living where it's supposed to, you've got to have three or so millimeters be, between the skull base and the condylar apex. And it's rare if you don't. And then there's subtleties to all of those things. But, you know, it, I think MRIs are the gold standard by far. And in a perfect world, we could all do it. But I think the screening tool, which we all have access to, is the scan. And you start to pick up on those subtleties. And I really, you know, in, in the past, I thought it was overcalling it. You know, I, I was trained the typical way most maxillofacial surgeons were. And unless I see a tumor and blood coming out of the ear and a hole in the brain, I'm saying, ah, you're fine, rub some dirt on it. But you pick up on these subtleties and you start to say, wait a second, this, this is not the way you were born. You weren't built this way. And there are studies that show in children so actually what they did is they did MRIs of kids that had brain pathology and they found that their discs were all in place. All of the discs were in place. And so it's not normal to have a disc that's herniated. Now, can you adapt to that? Sure. Absolutely. But is it quote normal and healthy? No. So, you know, you start to pick up on those things and that's the first step. I think is with the simple imaging. Then you can, you know, you can measure ramus condyle unit height. So on the particular patient that that you have, Chad, if if the left side is significantly shorter than the right, why is that? That that shouldn't happen. And if you have old records on them, was it always the case? So now you can start to be a detective and say, did this happen since development, or did was there a traumatic event that the patient is now losing? ramus condyle height on the left, causing asymmetry, pain, all of the things that you're seeing. And you kind of get it like that. Brian, I, I love what you just said. Let me, I'm going to throw something in here, Chad, because I, I think this is one of the most important things that he said. And he just gave us so much incredible information that it may have gotten lost in there. But it's looking at that occlusion and saying not, Here's what I've got, but how did it get this way? Because occlusions, I mean, we are we are meant to have bilateral simultaneous contact of equal intensity posteriorly. And when that is thrown off in the absence of any other work, we need to figure out where it's breaking down. And that immediately necessitates a CT scan to say, is the foundation intact because it's all connected? And if the foundation isn't intact, perhaps that's the reason for the asymmetries and for the bite changes. In dentistry, would you agree with this, Brian, that we've looked at occlusion 
as the culprit of TMJ problems, as opposed to the manifestation of TMJ derangements. You know, we've kind of looked. Yeah, absolutely. I was, you know, I was always taught and here's, here's the, the thing sort of raising the blinds and actually seeing things for how they were, how they are. You know, we were always taught your, your TMJ patients are typically class two because they're trying to posture into a class one relationship. So they develop quote TMJ, TMD, whatever that really means. Why are they class two? The joints were bad to begin with. That's why they have pain because they have pathologic joints. It happened before the completion of growth and they have a class two mandible. Now, could it be the other way around? Certainly, for for sure. Someone could have a genetic small mandible. They can continue to posture. Now, the front of the condyle is hitting on the back of the eminence. That's not good. That hurts. And the lateral pterygoids being overworked. That hurts also. So there has to be room in how we approach this very complex disease for open-mindedness, that it can't, it's not necessarily the chicken or the egg, it can be both. And, we, and as soon as we get more elegant in our thought process, we'll say that I, I don't really care which one it was, I want to fix it or prevent it. Can you give our doctors a better understanding of what current surgical treatment modalities are available to patients. Um, you know, frankly, coming from my post-dental education, really didn't think that surgical options were really good and that there was any uh, good prognosis associated. Of course, a lot. I think a lot of those were around um, artificial condyle surgeries. And so, you know, feel free to provide your feedback on that as well. Yeah, thank you. That's a great question because I think, um, again, I was just like that also before I joined Mark. We had these sort of standard industry type approaches to operating on the joints. And, uh, you know, as residents, we ran the other way when we saw these patients come in to the one joint surgeon you may have in your department yeah. um, because they're typically, uh, none of them can move their eyebrows. Uh, they've had 15 operations and they're still in pain, and then they're walking down the hall to the oral facial pain clinic to get their narcotics. So in my mind in those days, and it, it was, wow, I thank goodness we're trying, but we're not fixing these people. So, you know, the options that are out there, um, it, it runs the gamut. So on the, the very minimally invasive side, we have the good old arthrocentesis which the concept is that you're entering the superior joint space. So the superior synovial joint space, and you're flushing the inflammatory mediators. And this is based on some work that was done by Dr. Nitsen talking about internal derangement being caused by perfusion, reperfusion injury, and generating oxygen-free radicals within the synovial fluid that then cause a loss of lubrication, inflammation, stickiness, disc dislocation, and arthritis. Um, I think that can occur. I have yet to see a patient with severe condylar arthritis and good discs. So maybe I'm just catching them further along. But the point with the arthrocentesis is you wash it out. So my contention with that always is, okay, you've washed it out. Now they feel good for nine months is what the literature says. 
but you didn't fix the original pathology. So is the original pathology that they're parafunctional or is it something else? And so that's the arthrocentesis. You, some people will put hyaluronic acid into the superior joint space as a lubricant. Some people will put in steroids. Personally, I would recommend against the steroids because I see what the joint looks like after it's been done. And it causes a lot of scarring, not good, um, does make them feel good though initially. Then you have the arthroscopy, which is looking in the joint with a little camera and then using another port to operate. And this, is, this can be done successfully. And we could talk about that for a long time, but what do, what do we mean when I talk to patients about this? What do we mean operate? What are you doing with that other hand? What are you trying to accomplish? Are you trying to fix the disc, move the disc, take away adhesions, et cetera, repair a disc? Um, most of those things are quite difficult to do except for breaking adhesions, which are, are scar bands, basically. Um, the other utility there is it has, quote, diagnostic utility because you can see in the joint, you can look for um, hyperemia, you can look for these adhesions, um, but I would argue that MRI is going to do that without making a puncture into the face. Then you have the middle of the road procedures, which is where I live most of the time. And these are, these are things where we go into the joint, it's an arthrotomy, and then an arthroplasty where you open the joint and change the internal structure. And the, the workhorse in my office is removing the disc and then reconstructing the joint with a fat graft. And the, the other side of the spectrum then is if you don't believe you have enough healthy tissue left, then you've got to replace it, either with a rib or with a total joint replacement. And I do do those. There are utilities. I think that this practice unfairly has had the reputation of, of not doing those procedures, but I have multiple cases scheduled and we've completed multiple cases, but it has to be a clear, clear, clear indication to take someone and remove what they have and replace it with either an alloplast or a rib graft because that's not benign. And my last, last little kick on that is I will only do custom total joint replacements. I'm not doing stock replacements, which is essentially small, medium, large, pulling it off the shelf and, and doing the procedure. So it's custom made to the patient. Yeah. How do you custom make them? Yeah. So it's, the, it's, it's really pretty cool. So TMJ Concepts was acquired by Stryker, um, which is a, a plate and screw company we've been using for years. And with um, the computer modeling that we have right now, the components can be designed on the computer and fabricated. Now, in, in the past, this was, was waxed up just the way you would a crown. Uh, you had your ramus component, your fossa component, your condylar component, and you would get a stereolithic model and kind of change the bones, do your Lafort, move the mandible to where you want the maxilla to be, and then you'd fill in the gap with the wax and, and the, the wax up. Now it's all done on the computer. So it's specific for the patient. Sometimes you have to stage it. Sometimes you can get your cutting guides and do it all in one appointment. Um, so I think that's also a game changer. Pardon my ignorance, but what are you cutting 
to fabricate that? Yeah, no, great, great question. So you, you have to remove the native condyle. And what you're doing is you're creating space for the fossa, which is going to be right. a, a high density plastic plus, plus your titanium basically screwed into the, the zygomatic arch. And you want to create that space from the ascending ramus up into the fossa. So you're taking away the native condyle to allow for the proper geometry to get those components to fit. Um, and w- when I use these, it's typically when there's not much condyle left anyway. And, and I don't think that I can build the patient's face on their native condyle. Or if there's so much disease, whether it's avascular necrosis or some sort of tumor, there's just nothing I can do with a fat graft. Then I have to go with something that is a, a full reconstruction of both hard and soft tissue. So, Brian, let me let me jump in on a couple of, of these procedures because, you know, one of the more common things, and, and especially before I became better educated on the joint and, and the procedures that were available, you know, one of the most common procedures we hear from the oral surgery world is arthrocentesis or injecting that superior joint space with a steroid. First thing, would you agree that it is not an easy thing to find the superior joint space most of the time? Jeff, Jeff thank you. I, I actually, I want to do a study where we take first-year residents, sixth-year residents, six years out of residency, 10 years out of residency, and put that 18-gauge needle into the superior joint space where you think you've got it and see how close you really are. And, you know, one of the things I didn't mention and I should have with surgery is we do do disc repairs typically in children. But when when you're in the joint and you want to keep the structure, which you do with an arthrocentesis, you don't even want to look funny at anything that you're not operating on. You don't scuff cartilage. You don't just get in there and bang things around. You're creating more scar, more inflammation. So I've always contended that we think we're doing something that we may not actually be doing. And, you know, the other side of that coin is what Mark would always argue, the real pathologies in the inferior joint space, and you're not even addressing it. So that's your junction with the condyle. So, you know, I, and, and I've done plenty of them. I, we used to do them with the residents at Yale. I do them in my office in Chicago. And sometimes I would see the patient the next week and I'm like, why are they so happy? How did that work? I mean, I thought <laughs> I was there. I thought I was in there. And that's what the literature says. But man, they're great. But sure enough, it would have in an expiration date. I could see that. But I also wanted to to mention, so, and the reason I wanted to make a point of that is because I think that, especially from most general dentist perspective, is that they, oh, we're just going to do some arthrocentesis, flush it out. We can't do any harm. No, not the case. Right. Um, can't do any harm. We're just going to see if we can get them better with that or the steroid injection. And we also know that, 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 steroid use and especially overuse of steroids can be associated with connective tissue loss. So, you know, it's something that 
I, I just want people to find that place where there's somewhere that they can send a patient to if they're not familiar and not say, okay, the oral surgeon just says he's going to do arthrocentesis or, you know, just says they're going to do a steroid injection. And this, this is not to beat up on, on the oral surgeons out there, but as you know, there are very few that really can spend the number of hours that it takes to really learn the nuances of this complicated joint. Well, and, and to that point, I think the oral surgery community, we know as a group that, that overall, this is not the strongest thing that we do. You know, we can put a face together better than the plastic surgeons, certainly better than the ENTs. And, you know, but when it comes to the TMJ, there's been a lot of trial and error. And there's been a lot of failures along the way. And, and we should learn from those mistakes and be, we, we really have to be hypercritical about what we're treating also. So by talking about Nitsen's work with the arthrocentesis, that assumes that the internal structure of the joint is correct. So if you have a herniated disc, are you really working with a superior joint space that's even viable anymore? Right. If the disc is in the lateral pterygoid, what are you flushing? Right. So, you know, if if we're if we're gonna be honest with ourselves and and try to continue to improve, I think these are the questions we have to ask. Yeah. And, and I think that one of the things that's been undervalued is disc repair in young people, which you mentioned. And this is really when we want to be catching our, our temporomandibular joint disorders, because so many kids, I, I, I heard a, a great radiologist. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard him speak. He, oh, he's out of Chicago. Um, I'm trying to remember his name. Yeah. 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 Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and, He's you know, awesome. I heard him speak one time and then we had a lot of conversation on the side. And as a radiologist, he said, I've never seen another joint in the human body that looks as bad on children as what I've seen. Like, right. you just don't find any other joints in the body that look that bad at a young age. Mm -hmm. And so that's, you know, a lot of that is the, the trauma side of it. But we have this unique opportunity to pick these things up early and just just by getting support over the condylar head again, you know, we can we can return growth to normal and, and make these kids more normal. And yet we're so reluctant. Oh, we're not going to do surgery on a kid. So just what are your what are your thoughts on that? Real yeah. Quick? So, it, you know, it, exactly. It, it, the, the thing I think that we have to also eliminate from the uh, nomenclature with this stuff is is conservative versus radical therapy. And, you know, as my chairman, Len Cabin, used to say, is it's not a political discussion. It's either the right thing to do or the wrong thing to do. And so that means the operation can actually be the most conservative, quote, thing for the child because it may prevent 15 years of pain. It may prevent addiction to drugs. It may prevent all types of unnecessary treatment if it's taken care of when the pathology actually occurs. Now, with regards to growth, I'm really excited about these concepts. 
there is some awesome data coming out of Asia uh, where they are getting some pretty nice disc repairs with arthroscopies and sort of proving on MRI that they're getting growth of the condyles. Now, in our office, we have anecdotal data. So Mark and I have some cases that have turned out awesome, where it's like the case that we show, because it's the asymmetric kid that now grows to the midline. My experience over the last three and a half years has been, um, I can get them close. So I can get some growth, but if they're on the pathway already of having a significant asymmetry of the entire maxillomandibular complex, it's hard to reverse that. Um, but that may be just because I'm not catching them early enough, or there could be a critical point where the amount of growth potential is lost. But I do think we get the growth, but we we need to prove it and we need to keep working. And I think even along the lines of decreasing chronic pain, um, pain is one of the worst things that we run into because I, boy, I hate those cases. I mean, I'm a dumb surgeon. I want to fix boxes and pound in nails and stuff like that. But when I do that and they're still hurting, then that makes me upset. And it's, it's a tough problem to fix. Usually it's because now they're in the realm of chronic pain and we've waited too long. Well, that reminds me that we need to probably get you back and have a whole separate episode on pain. Oh yeah. We, yes. didn't, yeah. we didn't even touch that yeah. tonight. It, it's, exactly. <laughs> <I know. laughs> Yeah, that that is a can of worms. That's a whole can of worms. Partha had a question. Uh, Do you want to ask it or do you want me to? Go ahead. Okay. So uh, everybody, Dr. Shaw, has talked about how great uh, discussions we've had tonight. So thank you for everything that you've done. And, and, you know, by the way, you're so well-spoken. I could listen to you for hours. Oh, again, we need my wife in here. It's yeah, like, well, <laughs> yeah. Well, next time we're having a scotch and we're going to discuss yes, pain. Yes. But uh, Partha asked a question. He said it was a dumb question. I think it's a great question, but it says, has balloon arthroplasty been considered for TMJ maladies? He had watched a procedure on this for rotator cuff surgery and was wondering if they were utilizing it in the joint space. So I'm just curious, is, is that a, is that a possibility or something that's being done? Uh, I, it, to my knowledge, the balloon itself is not being utilized a lot. I could be wrong on that just cause I don't do a ton of, of, of the arthro, the balloon arthroplasties because I'm in there. So I can see it. I can, I have a huge, everything is done with a microscope. So I can just, just do it with microscopic instruments, but with a scope in theory, if you were to insufflate the superior joint space, you could knock down or break up your adhesions that way, um, which would be an interesting concept in, I suppose it may be a bit less traumatic, but at the same time, if you're in there and you can see, and you can navigate with, with the camera, you're going to be able to find all the nooks and crannies. And that's one of the problems with the TM joint is that there are nooks and crannies. I mean, once you once you get sort of anterior and you're running into the lateral pterygoid, there's a lot of scarring. And you think it's a simple band that you're taking down and it bleeds like stink. Now, if you have a scope, you can't see anything. Um, so it's it ends up being kind of a scary cave 
that you're working in. And the other thing is on the medial side of the joint, the same capsule that we're looking at laterally, we have medially, but you can't get to it. Just beyond that, you have major arteries. And, and if you get into any of those things, you have to go to interventional radiology because you just can't get to those vessels to tampon on the bleed. So you, you want to visualize everything. Nothing can be done blind. You know, it's because it's it's just too dangerous. But the concept, I think, is is interesting. I don't know personally how much it's being utilized, though. Well, thank you. And I'll just say to Partha, it's not a dumb question. Not There's no dumb questions not at all. On in the know. No, no not at no. all. And something else we didn't talk about. So this will have to be episode three for you, Brian, is we didn't even we didn't even talk about the connection with airway and and how we're now taking into account, especially in in uh, a lot of these orthognathic surgeries, you know, the appreciable changes that we can see in the oropharyngeal airway and or the impact of anything that we're doing craniofacially Absolutely. On, on the oropharyngeal airway. Could part four be nursing and the impacts of how we're feeding our babies to develop and uh, develop the oral facial complex. Brian, I'll tell you what, I'm going to step down. What you just take over be my spot because you could be on every week, I think. <laughs> That's right. Jeff's out, Brian's in. Well, I'm still trying to figure out what the TMJ is. And then Jeff throws in this thing called orpharyngeomalol. I don't even know what that is. <laughs> I, I vote that Jeff steps down and Brian takes his place. Well, as, as long as I get whatever's left in that bottle yeah. of wine, if there's anything in there. Uh, we got we still got a full half of a bottle here. Yeah, there there. You go. Yeah. <laughs> Brian also works with our pay scale. He's oh, obviously yeah. very oh, yeah. amenable to our plural structure. That is awesome. <laughs> yeah. Please subscribe. As soon to as the donations account, come in, we're, we're golden. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Brian, thank you again for, oh, thank for you joining guys. us. This was great. What a what a pleasure to see you again. And and we'll be chatting again in the near future. But I would love for you if you'd be willing to come back on Please, uh, for us to maybe dive into some some pain concepts and and uh, you know maybe even talk about the connection between uh, dental facial orthopedics and and the airway. Absolutely, that would be great. Thank thank you so much, guys. That was great. Oh, this was so much fun. It was it was amazing. Thank you so and, much. And Brian. guys, he didn't even finish in the OR till like six something tonight. You know, he's texting. He's like, I'm just leaving the OR. I'm like, don't worry, we're good. It's it's very casual. So thanks for your time. No, thank you guys. I, I really look forward to doing it again. And and honestly, if you're perplexed, um, I will tell you that you can always send patients down to the Piper Clinic where they have made efficient ways to bring people in from out of town, see them, develop a diagnosis over one day. Am I, am I, I want to make sure I'm not saying anything incorrectly. Yeah, they're, they're diagnosed and treatment planned before they're getting on the plane to go home. We have to yeah. do it that way. Yeah. So if you're ever in a bind where you're just like, I just don't know what to do with this patient, that outlet is always there. And I can tell you, they will not receive finer treatment anywhere in the world. So, uh, Brian, thank you again.
Thank you, guys. Have a great night. You too. Okay. Thank care. you. Great to see you. And that wraps up another podcast for Dentists in the Know. On behalf of Dr. Jennifer Bell, Dr. Chad Duplantis, and myself, remember that we've got a great profession. So let's make it a great day, Dinks.